Today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there, all dads among us and those in fathering roles. But in just two weeks' time, we will be celebrating the 4th of July. Hard to believe, isn't it? Two weeks' time already? And so there'll be parades and fireworks, there will be concerts and speeches, there will be barbecues and gatherings of family and friends. All of these will proceed on. All of these celebrations to mark our nation's 240th anniversary will go forward in spite of what happened in Orlando last weekend, in spite of ongoing security risks, in spite of threats of terrorism, these celebrations will go forward. And that's a good thing, that we are not held captive by the threat of what might happen. And so life goes on even as our hearts and prayers go out with the people in Orlando and those whose lives were taken in that massacre last weekend. Fourth of July, in two weeks' time, celebrates the freedom, the freedom that we know and love in this country that is so much a part of, of who we are as a people. We have been blessed with countless freedom that other people in the world can only begin to imagine. But as the old phrase puts it, freedom is not free, meaning that others have paid a very heavy price, perhaps even their very lives, for these freedoms that we often take for granted. I was thinking about this last weekend when I and two of my daughters were out in Iowa, where I officiated at a niece's wedding. Uh, it was the heat index of 110 degrees in an unair conditioned church. It was a nasty hot day, but nobody keeled over up there at the altar, so that was a very good thing. But then when um, Everything's over and we get together with family, we share stories, we look at old pictures, and we were doing that one evening. Pulled out a whole box of old family photos and mementos, among which was the gold star citation for my mother's brother who was killed in action in World War II in the North Africa campaign. Freedom. That is what today's gospel lesson really is all about. Freedom from oppression and tyranny, not in a political sense, but in a very real life sense, in a spiritual sense. Jesus gives freedom to that garrison man who was possessed by demons, and in so doing, Jesus gives hope to all who are oppressed who are shackled by forces bent on their destruction. Jesus alone can give this freedom because Jesus alone is this freedom. That is what we celebrate today. That is what we give thanks for as we focus on what that gospel lesson means for our lives today under the theme of freedom. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing 
and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. There is a strange fascination in our culture that uh, has to do with the occult and demon possession. Shows on network channels, cable TV, movies, sometimes give the impression that this is almost a sort of entertainment. So a word of caution is in order here. Be very careful about what you are getting into. A door can be opened into a very dark place where you are no longer in control. A place of oppression and tyranny that truly is bent on your destruction. This is the case with that man uh, we hear in the gospel lesson for it. We don't even know his name. We're not told that. But his story is so amazing, isn't it? Incredibly powerful. But it's really not his story at all. It's the story of the one who stepped into that situation to restore him. How did that man come to find himself in such a horrible state of being? Did he literally sell his soul to the devil? Or was this all sort of piecemeal, bit by bit, gradually over a long period of time, sort of like the frog in the kettle where the heat gets turned up gradually until the frog doesn't even know he's being boiled alive? Whatever happened, the man was sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into this black hole. The scripture does not reveal to us the circumstances of how it happened. We don't know that, and that's probably just as well. But everything about the man degenerated into something like a wild animal. His appearance, his behavior, his speech, his strength. People tried to step in and intervene in the situation. It really did no good at all. Man was out of control. Or more accurately, he was under control of forces that had taken over his life. He abandoned home and family, making his home among the dead, graves and tombs, living among corpses and bones. He was unclean and filthy. He didn't even wear clothes anymore, we are told. And to ensure their safety and protection, local citizens banded together. They attempted to bind him with chains and shackles, but they had no idea of the power he possessed, or rather, that possessed him. With superhuman strength, he broke off those shackles and chains, and he was compelled to run back out into the wilderness, into the desert, to do the bidding of that to which he was a slave. The person his family and friends knew really no longer existed at all. Something else inhabited his body, his mind, his, his spirit, his very being. And from a human perspective, it looked as though there was no hope 
for this man anymore. He was lost. And then Jesus came. As soon as he stepped out of that boat, the garrison man was there. And then a great guttural shriek burst forth out of his mouth. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Whatever power controlled that man realized that here, standing in front of him, was another power far greater than its own. And it had to submit to him. It had to obey. And so for the first time in a very, very long time, there was a faint glimmer of hope for that man. Jesus asked, what is your name? He wasn't asking the man. He was addressing the evil which lived in him and controlled him. And the voice responded, Legion, Legion, 4,000 to 6,000 troops were in a Roman legion. All of that in the man. And notice how things shift from the first person to the third person. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, to, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss, that place reserved for the devil and his angels. So make sure we understand here now, the voices of that legion of demons are begging for mercy. These evil forces that had dominated and exerted such power, such control over that garrison man's life are now powerless before the Son of Man. They begged him, they pleaded not to send them back to their prison, the abyss, but instead send them out into that large herd of pigs there by the sea. And that's what Jesus did. This is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, Gentile territory. There wouldn't have been pigs in closer to Judea and Galilee where Jewish people lived. Gentile country. But you see, it doesn't matter whether one is Jew or Gentile. Jesus addresses the hurt and pain of whoever is in need of that. After entering that herd of pigs then, they immediately rushed down the steep bank and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. And that's when everyone started to freak out. Herdsmen took off, spreading news near and far in country and in town of what had happened. And a big crowd then gathers round to see the spectacle, to see for themselves the bodies of the pigs floating out there in the water and to see the crazy man now in his right mind. 
Nobody could believe it. It's too much for people to take in. They couldn't handle it. And so what do they do? They ask Jesus to leave. That's what I find the most amazing part of this story altogether. Jesus, we need you to go. Please leave. And he does. If he could do something as powerful as this, there is no telling what he is capable of doing. They were seized with great fear, we're told, but not the garrison man. He knew that the power which Jesus possessed was used for good, not for evil. He wanted to go with Jesus, to be with Jesus wherever he would go. The fear that once controlled his life had now been replaced with peace, with joy, with thanksgiving. His life had been restored. How could he not go with the one who had done all this for him? But Jesus said no. He refused his request and instead sent him back to the people who knew him best, who knew him before, during, and now after. Return to your home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Can you imagine the power of this man's testimony? How many people were turned to Jesus because of what Jesus had done for this man? We'll never know this side of heaven. What we do know is that the man did exactly as Jesus had instructed him. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Maybe you are struggling with forces in your own life that are bent on your destruction. These are just as real today as they were in Jesus' day. Maybe you feel powerless over them, and it is they, not you, who are controlling your life. But if Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, could set that garrison man free, then there is hope for you, and there is hope for me, and there is hope for anyone and everyone who feels trapped and caught in this downward, deathward spiral. This miracle of deliverance is through Jesus alone. He is that one of whom Paul writes in the epistle lesson. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And that is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He has redeemed us. He has set us free through his 
life, through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus, son of the most high God. And if Jesus could do what he did for the garrison man, just imagine what he can do for you today. Amen.